Hey guys, if you can think about how you found this podcast, maybe it's on Instagram or TikTok, maybe someone shared it with you. I don't run ads for the show or have sponsorships, so the only way this grows is through word of mouth. If this was valuable for you in any way, my only ask is if you could share this with someone who you think would help their investing journey or business. Thanks a lot, and let's get to the episode. So everyone, it's my great pleasure to welcome Avery Carl to the show today. Avery, thank you for taking some time to join us. Yeah, thanks so much for having me on. Thank you. First off, I want to congratulate you. I saw an article come across your team at the short-term shop got the number one team award at EXP. And as a client of the short-term <laughs> shop and an agent of EXP, I know how hard that is. So first off, kind of kudos to, to you and your team for this prestigious award. Thank you. Thank you. And really we owe it to our clients because we were able to do that because so many of you guys keep coming back to us and buying more properties with us. So we appreciate you. It really is <laughs> award more than ours. Liz and I, having known you since 2017 before Short Term Shop is what it is today, it's been great to see the growth of, of what you've done in the company. And that's what I, so that's what I want to talk about today. But first, I want to give the audience, I want to give you a chance to introduce yourself to the audience. They know who Avery Carl is. I remember very clearly talking to Liz the first time I was coming home from some showings in the Smokies. I was super pregnant and had just slammed some Taco Bell. I don't know why I very specifically remember exactly what I was doing first time I talked to Liz, but that's what it was. Yeah. So my name's Avery Carl. For those of you who don't know, I'm a real estate investor. I've got 250 doors. Eight of them are short terms. I've been investing in short terms for the better part of a decade now, which means I'm getting old. And also I wrote a book right behind me called Short-Term Rental, Long-Term Wealth. And I own a company called The Short-Term Shop at eXp Realty. And we have 20 offices where all we do in a bunch of different states, where all we do is help short-term rental investors buy and sell short-term rental real estate. You're the person, you're the perfect person to talk to given the market we're in right now. And as we look in 2024, so that's something, a topic I want to hit on, but first we're just, we're, we were talking off stage as both relative new parents, your, your kid is a little older, your daughter and son are a little older than mine. We were just talking about the challenges of raising a young family with, with raising a family and then running, trying to run your businesses. It's been crazy to this journey that we've been, Liz and I have been on with you and I'm really excited, Avery, because you referenced you were pregnant when we first talked to you in 2017. And I wish we had bought in 2017 when Liz was doing, Liz, my, who's my wife and my business partner, was doing research in the Smokies because you could have got like a four bedroom in the Smokies in 2017 for three, <laughs> 250, 250, right? 250. Oh, uh, I know. <laughs> I know, 250 and four bedrooms like that are trading at 900, yep. 850, 900. So just to give folks a sense of the pr massive price appreciation. Uh, in the Smokies from 17 to 2023, and you would have gotten the cash flow over the over that period as well. And I want to talk a little bit about how you think about when you first got into short-term rentals. Like, why did you pick that as like your real estate strategy to both build your personal portfolio and then build a business on top of that? Okay, so I have a tendency to over-explain, so I'm going to try to not do that. For me, it was more of a necessity and a little bit of a, just like going out on a limb and adventure a little bit. My husband and I, Luke, we moved from New York City, from Brooklyn to Nashville in 2013. And our realtor at the time was really trying to get us to buy 
in East Nashville, which is like the Williamsburg of Nashville. It was like really fast appreciating. She was telling us stories about people who were cashing $100,000 checks in a year of ownership. Little did we know 2021 was around the corner. It sounded like a lot of appreciation at the time. And we were like, no, we're moving from New York. We are done with neighbors. We had first floor Steve and second floor Steve. We were on the third floor and we're like, no, we, no more Steve's in our life. So we wanted to buy out in the country. So we did. But then we were thinking like, we have a little bit of money left. What if we did? And we didn't know anything about real estate investing. We were Dave Ramsey all the way back then. And we said, what if we buy one of these houses? And if they're appreciating like that, we're going to have kids one day. And we buy this house and put a tenant in there and they're paying the mortgage. Then by the time our kids graduate, we're not really having to spend any of our own money doing this, paying the mortgage that when our kids graduate high school, then maybe we can just sell this house and pay for their college out of that appreciation because, and we won't have to come out of pocket. And we thought we were these great geniuses. And so we did that. We bought one and we found it, the mortgage on that first property, which was right outside of East Nashville in an area called Madison, the mortgage was $647 a month and we were able to rent it for 1500. So that was just under a month in cash flow on a single family long-term. Which that's could, really good yeah. Yeah, actually yeah so we got really lucky with that and that was 100 luck like we didn't even know it was called real estate investing at the time so i cannot take any credit for that first property <laughs> other than we were desperate and we happened to be in the right place at the right time to get that one and coincidentally with a master's degree you can expect to make about that much in an entry-level music business job or mid-level music <laughs> business job and we found okay after all of my deductions on my paycheck that I'm making about a thousand dollars a month because everybody, there's always an intern in the music business. It's so sexy. Everybody wants to do it. There's always an intern who will do your job for free. So they can get away with paying everybody nothing right. and everybody will do it. Cause they're like, Oh, I got to be in a room with Keith Urban last night or Taylor Swift or whoever. And who cares? I would like to be able to afford to live personally. We found, okay, we've just doubled my salary with one down payment that now we don't really have to do anything. Like I'm not having to go to work another eight hours a day to double this. So then we said, okay, we want to do more of this. We want to build a business out of this. So how do we do that? And then we actually started educating ourselves and reading books and listening to podcasts and, and learning how to build a real estate business. And again, we had just enough of a down payment for one single family property. And we said, what can we buy that's going to make us the most amount of money the fastest? Because this is the last little bit of money that we have. We'd gone to like an Edward Jones financial advisor. She told us we didn't have enough money for her to do anything with us. And we we're like, oh, cool. <laughs> we're losers. When was this? So let's date this actually. 2014. 14. Okay. 2014. 2014. So we said, what can we do with this? Because we've got enough to do something. And, but if we did another long-term, it was going to take a long time to get another down payment going. So we said, why not short-term? We'd just been to the Smoky Mountains on vacation. It's about mm -hmm. four hours east of Nashville. We stayed in a cabin and we said, well, somebody owns that cabin. Everybody else was staying in cabins and somebody owns these cabins. Why don't we try this? And then guys, this was like way before there were no courses. There might've been one or two, but they were not mainstream. There was no YouTube everything. YouTube existed. It wasn't that long ago, but there weren't courses and gurus <laughs> and trainings on this. We went out on a limb and just bought one. And we found while we were looking at using property managers, we thought that's what you do is what you have to do. And we found that the average property management split for the Smokies at the time was 40% of 40%? your 40%? Oh, it wow. was 40%. Okay. Yeah. Woo. And only, only since Evolve and Vacasa and a lot of self-management has come about over the past five or six years, has it gone down to 25, but, and some of them still do like up in the thirties, really? but at the time everybody was 40%. And we said, wait a minute, 
we need that 40% so we can go yeah. buy more. Like we can't afford to give somebody 40%. And we said, how hard can this be? We've got Airbnb and Verbo and we have our phones and we just really need a cleaner and a handyman. And then we can figure it out from there. Yeah. So we just pieced together how to do it. And that's how we got off to the races on the short terms. So that first deal, like you're a numbers person. I'm a numbers person. Tell us that first deal. What was it? How much was that? What did you buy in at? Do you remember what your first year kind of revenue was? Yes. So that one we got for... It was a, it's a two bedroom or a one bedroom with a second loft bedroom. We got that for 165,000. It is a oh, true, wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a true loft. But back then you didn't make as much as you do now. And I can yeah, get into yeah. that in a little bit. It was a true, is a true log cabin. We still have it with the stacked logs with the chinking in between. It had been a long-term rental. It was in probate. Like some guy in Texas owned it and mm. passed away. The guy who lived there, I don't think they swept the entire time that they lived there. They smoked inside. <laughs> it was just a mess. Mm. And so we furnished it, got it ready. We were like, man, this is, this is what it needs to look like the actual house. Cause it's very cool and like rustic and had a little bit of a view, which was cool beautiful fireplace. And so we said, if we can just get this thing furnished, then I think this will work. Okay. <laughs> and, and it was not nearly as scientific as it is now where you're looking at exact cash on cash returns and there's all this data and everything. We were like, I think this will work. <laughs> it did. And the first year, so back then on a two bedroom, you could expect on a good property to gross about 45,000 a year. Okay, and okay. yeah, and now our two bedrooms, the same two bedrooms that we had in 2015 and 2016 do about 80,000 a year. So I think that there was a lot of change over the course of the past 10 years in terms of where properties are posted to book and how many people are exposed to those properties through Airbnb and Verbo. Back then, all the cabins and the Smokies were just on some random, each random property management company's website. So there's been a lot of changes in travel and then booking travel over the past 10 years that I think has allowed us to get from 45,000 to 80. But at the time it was 165 plus about 20,000 and furnishing and set up mm -hmm. to gross about 45 a year. That's not bad. That's, I don't know, what is it? Level of four times revenue. Yeah. Right now as multiples now are like, gosh, you'd be looking to get seven times right now. Let's be like a deal. Even with where the pricing is and where the interest rates are. Remember the top, top in 2022 that were trading like nine, 10 times revenue. Which for, if you're listening out there, just means that if a cabin did 100K, it would probably trade at a million. So just the way that I think about it is just every dollar revenue, how much am I paying for that? Because everyone operates differently. You can't really, you don't really look at profitability because the way Avery manages their cabin will be different from the way that I manage my cabin. So from a profitability perspective, it's really hard to compare apples to apples. What's much easier is just on a gross revenue basis. And then that's just the easy way for, to, to value value properties. Okay. So great. You built all this. It's pretty crazy. You built all this. And we talked a few times, but I don't think you ever talked about this, at least to me, 180K-ish to, to launch what you have today. You said you have kind of 250 doors, eight short-term rentals. Can you just talk a little bit about how that, as you scale the short-term rentals and then pivot it to long-term rentals now again, just can you talk a little bit about that evolution as you yourself matured as a real estate investor? Yeah. So I think what we did a really good job of in the beginning that where I think a lot of investors make a mistake is once you get those first one or two properties and you get that cash flow coming in, people get comfortable and they forget about the saving 
and the budgeting that they did in order to get that first property and they stopped doing that. Mm -hmm. And I think in order to continue scaling, you have to keep that budgeting and then just add in the income of all the properties that you buy. And then it snowballs much more quickly. And then as time goes on, you don't have to budget quite as hard. You, you can slowly loosen that up. But for us, it was continuing the budget for the first two or three years. And then also never spending money that we make on real estate on anything other than mm -hmm. buying more real estate. And in terms of jumping around asset classes, when we got to five short terms, so I think five short terms and then 10 short terms are two milestones of, okay, what are we going to do here? We've got enough cash flow coming in that we could go buy more short terms and we could do some other things, but it becomes much more when you have to start hiring more VAs and things like that. So at five, we thought, okay, and this was still back, we had five by... 2016. Yeah. So this was not, keep in mind, things were cheaper back then. So it doesn't take nearly as long to save up 15, <laughs> 20,000 as it does 200,000. This was still self-managing a short-term rental was still a new thing at the time. So we were still a little bit like, okay, when is the other shoe going to drop on us here? Yeah. <laughs> because we, is this going to keep going forever? Or is this like a flash in the pan? We didn't know. So we said, maybe let's start growing in some more long-terms. We already have one of those and that's really easy. And they're relatively cheap comparatively. We were getting duplexes at the time in Chattanooga for about a hundred thousand, which you can't do that anymore. And <laughs> so we just started every time we had 25,000 saved up, we'd go buy a duplex in Chattanooga and then go buy another one. And over time that has snow snowballed into more deals at a time. And then one day we had nine closings in a day. It was probably 2020, maybe mm -hmm. we said, okay, if we're going to close on this many and we've got this many and we're financing all of them. So we've got this many sets of closing costs and stuff. Why don't we just buy an apartment building instead of having nine closings in a day and having to sign a thousand sheets of paper yeah. by one apartment building. So then it morphed into that too. And, and then we threw back in some more short terms. So we never said, okay, we're pivoting away from this and we're doing this. We all just added new strategies in and now we have each pillar kind of running all the time. Yeah. Do you, so personally for us, we have one long-term rental. We have six that we own short-term rentals. And then we have a portfolio of 25 apartments that we rental arbitrage for short-term rentals. And what rental arbitrage just means is we lease the apartments over a longer period of time. And then with the express permission from the landlord to put it back on Airbnb. So that is for us, our real estate portfolio. And the reason I talk about that is your point about different pillars of real estate. And actually, I very much believe that you want different you don't want to, at least for us, we don't want to over-index on one strategy or one type of property. That makes sense. Like we have our rental arbitrage portfolio in urban areas. We buy in suburb, in, in more vacation rental areas. Our long-term rentals are in different parts of the country. So if one thing doesn't work, something else will work, right? And they're different mm -hmm. seasons. So do you think about that a little bit? And as you look at your portfolio and, and just real estate investing broadly, just kind of like uncorrelated the different parts of your asset, your portfolio, so that say your short-term rentals are off, COVID hits, but still long-term rentals do well or, or vice versa. Is that, do you, do you put that, do you have that consideration? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So a lot of people say, why don't you make your apartment buildings short terms? And I'm like, no, because they're apartment buildings. We're not doing that. These are our long terms. The <laughs> short terms are vacation rentals. And we focus on vacation rentals and vacation markets. We focus on our long terms and like medium sized metro markets. And when COVID did hit, we had five short terms and I think we had 15 long terms. And again, short term was still like a little early adopter. And so we thought, oh, here it is. The other shoes finally dropped. The short terms are going down the tubes. 
but at least we have all these long terms so we can see what happens and we'll be fine. It turns out it was actually the opposite after the two weeks that everything was shut down or however many weeks it ended up being extended. Like we all sat down and watched Tiger King for a little while and then the short boom. <laughs> Forget about Tiger. You're right. Everyone was watching Tiger King and they were yes. like, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> Tiger oh, King man. and DoorDashing Chick-fil-A was us. That was like all that was open. And good times. Good times. <laughs> yeah. But we thought, okay, at least we have these long terms too. To take care of this and but what happened was the short terms went nuts we were getting higher prices per night than we'd ever seen because yeah. people were dying to get out of their houses but they didn't want to go to hotels or get on planes so they were driving to places like the smokies but what we actually had to worry about at that point was eviction moratoriums uh -huh. whoever heard of that like that is not something that anybody ever expected to hear those words we didn't end up having to deal with that but it was nice to know that like the pendulum could have swung either way the short terms could have gone down the tubes then the long terms could have but we had the other strategy going uh -huh. really separated from it so either way it swung we were covered yeah. and it's a really great point like it, it's really hard to know what's going to happen in the future no one's crystal ball is that good if that makes sense, right? That's why you want things that just aren't related so that even if you're wrong, like you still can't be right, if that makes sense. Like you were maybe incorrect in your assumption that when short-term STRs go down, long-term rentals will go up and for COVID, but it actually swung the other way, but you had exposure to both parts of that, right? So your STRs did really, really well and your LTRs did fine. So I think that's, that's the benefit of diversification and like just depending on where you are in your investing journey for me personally with two kids, right? Like I don't want these swings that look like <laughs> this is my preferred bath, right? right? Just slow and steady, slow and up to the right 10% a year. I'm fine with that. I don't need to be up by 40 and then down 20 and then down 10 and up 30. That's not a roller coaster ride that I subscribe to, <laughs> but, <laughs> but look, everyone, if you're 21, like maybe that's what you want to do. Obviously real estate, real estate investing are, are, are all very personal, but just like some concepts I think are important to, to, to understand. And I want to move on to the next topic about how you built the okay. short term shop, building a brokerage <laughs> business on top of what you were doing in short term rentals and real estate is a really competitive business. And the, the business that you've built is truly impressive. And like, and I say that without hyperbole and it's not a platitude, like it really is like very impressive what you've done. Can you just talk about like how that is, like how, how did you get the idea of short-term shop? And then what was the first, what was that first ending? What was that first six months? Was there a time when you're like, man, maybe I should just go, maybe were, were there any doubts that came to doubts that crept in your mind in the early stages of it? Yeah. So it, I, it, I never meant to get here. This was not purely by accident because I'm. I have to dis disclaim that I am extremely competitive. I'm very, like we were both talking about our firstborn daughters earlier. It's like <laughs> that. I, I played college athletics. I had great grades in school. I like, I'm one of those people that likes to go to school. I like to do hard things. I am not fun to play even Monopoly with because I get mad and I make it not fun for everyone because I'm just way too competitive and I there's not anything I can do about it at this point but so I don't have and Luke's the same way neither one of us have to do anything if we're going to do something we are going hard and he had a really successful bar in New York before we met and anything he's done before this he's been really successful at so for me I just wanted to get out of my day job and I knew I'd been thinking about because we got married and then we're both working and the boss that I had at the time, I was always thinking, okay, I always knew we wanted to have a family. I've always wanted to be a mom. And 
how can I do that? How can I do that and still work? And in the job that I was in, I can't really, if I want to stay in the music business, there's not a lot of like jobs out there. You can't just go get another one. You have to wait to move up. Mm -hmm. And the boss that I had was not going to be somebody who really, who would understand if a child was home with strep throat and you couldn't come into work, there was no work from home. There was no anything. And so I was constantly trying to think of what am I going to do for a living to where I'm not having to be at work all day and I want to hang out with my kids. And so being a real estate agent, that idea came along around the same time we were on probably our third property. I was getting licensed anyway, mm -hmm. so we could do our own deals and without me like having to bother somebody in the middle of the night, I can just go look on the MLS. And we found that there weren't really any agents in the Smokies who really understood what we were trying to do or could say any location was better than another or how much a property should be able to do or how do you find cleaners or anything like that. They would just say, go to this property manager and ask. Those property managers get tired of you asking and not hiring them. I said, I don't, I'm not making that much anyway. I don't really, we've got enough short terms that we can take I have the time to build up a real estate business without us like going broke here. It, and it just started that friends of ours would say, how much are you making on that cabin in this month? Help me buy one, teach me how to do it. And then it became friends of friends. And then it became like actual clients that I didn't know. And it just. Oh, extra client. It's an extra client. Oh, you're, that's you. I was like, oh, did I freeze? That just grew organically. And then when we bought a house in Destin, Florida, to be a short term, and we rehabbed that, I realized we also had a lot of clients who were buying with us and buying in Destin. And I'm like, maybe we should open up in Destin. And then I had Jonathan, our Gulf Shores agent, call me. He heard me on a podcast. He lived in Houston. And he said, hey, I want to move to Gulf Shores and work for you. And I'm like, are you sure you want to do that? That's crazy. And he's, yeah, let me just convince my wife. And I'm like, my gosh, his wife is not going to be good. What wife is going to be cool with him being like, oh yeah, I heard this girl on a podcast and we're going to go move <laughs> and work for her. So he did. And best she decision, was. Best decision that he made, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. He's done really well. And his wife agrees. So I'm glad that worked out because that could have gone really bad. And then it just ended up organically building and organically building. So I didn't sit down and say, oh, I'm going to do this thing. It just, I'm always looking for the next step in the thing I'm already doing. And it just built from there. Yeah. And, like, and I want to decompose this a little bit, but shout out to Luke, who's Avery's husband and has, he's one of the, I think one of the really good educators in this space, the podcast, def you guys should definitely check it out. I'll leave it in the show notes. This has come a long way since 2014 when Avery started. <laughs> I started in 2016 and there was like still nothing really available. There's so much technology, YouTube, there's a lot of stuff online. But what I like about Luke's style, one is like funny, he's funny in his way. I listened a few times, it took me a while and I was like, oh, okay, like I get it and I like it and I too, like it. But it's like real advice and it's like contemporary too because it's like, it, it does, the game changes and it evolves and it upgrades and you really just got to continue to up-level your game. You want to be in the top 15, 10, top, 15%, 10% of the space. You just have to continue to educate yourself and up-level what you're doing. And that's how you stay ahead in a competition. Get, you get so many questions like, oh, how do you get any occupancy? How are you getting these kind of rates? It's because we're investing in the product. We're investing in ourselves as managers in order to be able to achieve those kind of results. So shout out to Luke on that. I want to talk a little bit about when you, and you're really competitive. I always got that sense. And so I think we really liked you. And I definitely came in into real estate, like not wanting to pay fees. Like I was like, why are we paying fees to someone? Like all this data is out there. This doesn't make any sense to me. And what I really liked about the short-term shop I and mean, what, what eventually got me over it was the data that you guys had. You actually provided like real data that I can go in and look at and do some underwriting and make sure that what we were buying, the first property we bought actually made sense. And that was what really differentiated you 
and your firm from other people. They were just like, oh, go talk to his revenue managers like or property managers. Like, what? This person knows nothing and is incentivized <laughs> to sell me. So why am I talking to him? Doesn't make or him or her doesn't make sense. I, I thought that was what was really great about what STS was doing. And Julie McCoy, who if she ever hears this, like Julie actually sat with us in our hotel room waiting for a time to Smokies and wrote offers together after six hours of showings. So shout out to Julie for having patience with us. And it's these things that you always remember in your real estate journey because it was such an important pivot point for us. Like we had been researching to buy, we finally bought. Like we were really good in arbitrage and we had this cash flow that we weren't really doing a lot with. And we wanted to reinvest in short-term rentals. And that allowed us to buy those six properties now. We want to continue to buy more. And now just like knowing what, what you're doing in all the different markets, I want to ask a little bit about what you're seeing right now. Rates obviously now are 7, 70% depending on the day. Prices are where they are. You have probably the best vantage point out of anyone I know because you you just have such coverage, 20 offices across the country. I think first I'm going to break this up into two two parts. How have how has rates and the economy impacted short-term rentals, at least in your view, over the last 12 months? So let's look, let's go to 2023 first and we'll to 20, and then we'll get your predictions for 24 and beyond. But how have like what's the state of the market over the last 12 months? So do you mean in terms of being an owner and rentals or in terms of the sales side of things? As an owner, like a, as an investor, like gotcha. if you're listening okay. as an investor, like how we want to hear from you, how you've seen the market evolve over the last 12 months. Okay. So over the last 12 months, what we've seen across all of our personal properties, which are five in this one in Destin, Florida, one in the 30A area of Florida, and one in Cape Sandblast, Florida, is that our occupancy is down a little bit, but our income is actually up. So we're booking less nights, but for a higher price per night. Summer was lower than last year, not terribly, but I think we're right now across eight properties within like $6,000 of last year's performance. So a really, I don't want to say negligible, but negligible amount. By the end of the year, we should be right on maybe a little bit better. Mm -hmm. So we're seeing more last minute bookings. And I think obviously international travel ramped up this year, but do you want me to go on to 2024? Do you? I want to finish 23. I'm not going to 23 yet. Okay. It's been a little bit less, but not. And I would like to also disclaim that none of my properties are these crazy, like, modern cabins or crazy luxury properties. They're all like cute, clean, comfortable, nice places to stay, but none of them are like my Dustin property does not have a swim up bar in the pool. It's yeah. not, it's, it's walkable to the beach, but it's got just a plain square pool and it's vinyl. It's not even gunite. Yeah. And, but I think that in terms of the way we present our listings, photos, decor, everything that we have a lot of five-star reviews. I think that we've stayed at the top of the market. And I think a lot of people think that they have to buy like the biggest, craziest property yeah. in a market because they hear these words like saturation and you're not going to make any money there. So they think they have to do that, but you don't. You just have to buy a cute clean, comfortable property, and you can get it to be like what Bill Faith would call a super property through decor management and photos. Yeah. I'm when I hear the term super property and like this meme about having to have these crazy amenities, 
I think it leads people down the wrong path because mm-hmm. one, it kills your cash to cash returns because you're, you're so much equity in these properties. If you're putting in 100, 150K for a pool, a pickleball court, this, that, and, and the other. And some of that stuff doesn't add equity. It, it just adds income. It just adds, exactly. Thank you. Took the, words out of right, <laughs> the words right out of my mouth. It doesn't actually add, it's not updating your kitchen. I don't think that is the, I don't, that is not the only path to success. I think it's being pitched as it's like direct bookings, like being pitched as this is the way, this is the way to Nirvana. And I don't, I think there are different ways it's, it works, but there are other paths, right? Our properties also are not like these crazy there. And the way that we continue to get our performance better is pricing and pricing management and updating the decor. So I want to just ask you just before we move on to 2024, okay. ask you on that, like what exactly, like what have you, what have you and Luke done on your properties to have lower occupancy? but higher ADR. So your rev par is still in line with what it was last year. What have you done? What have you done this year to continue to keep, is it a price? Is it a pricing thing? I know Luke's really big on that. Is it pricing? What is it? Like maybe just share a few tips. So Luke, Luke could answer that better than me, but he's in there tweaking things and like tinkering and playing around, not playing around, but there's a strategy behind it, but he's in there every day. And I think the more you mess with, for lack of a better word, your listings every day or every week, eventually you're going to find that thing that gets your property booked. So whether that's rearranging the photos or whether that's changing up the pricing or adding a small amenity or changing out a refrigerator from white to stainless, things like that. I think that you, the just, I don't know if there's like a scientific law about this, but like the more you're paying attention on something and the more harder you're working. And if you're being reasonable, so I have a lot of people that'll say, I'm doing everything I can and I'm not getting booked. And then the first thing I'm like, you don't have professional photos. What are you doing? So you also have to be reasonable with yourself. Be honest with yourself. The more, the harder you work on stuff, you will eventually find that thread to follow to, to be more successful. So Luke could probably answer that better than me on exactly what he does because he's the magic behind our management, but I know he's in there every single day, just seeing what works. Yeah. Just double clicking on the point about professional photos, please use professional. If you're anyone's listening here, if you don't have real professional photos, get those taken five, 600 bucks, depending on what market you're in, get those done. It will help your listing immensely. One more, one more, one more question before we move into 2024 as not as a manager, but as a real estate investor, as you've seen, maybe can you just talk about generally the actionability of buying short-term rentals over the last 12 months is maybe I can frame it that way as rates have continued to creep up over probably from the high six, high fives, low sixes to mid eights over last, this last 12 months. And then as prices have I think there was a, I think you're the right person to answer that, not or to talk about it, not me, but it just seemed like there was a little dip and there's really not a dip anymore. Like it's all, there's no real price drops anymore. I don't see, at least for anything decent. So just talk about that. What was, what's been the state of the play of the market as a buyer? So I am referring to this as the great stalemate because interest rates, just like they make buyers not really want to buy something right now, it makes sellers not really want to sell something right now. Because if a seller sells, they're probably about to become a buyer. So they don't want to sell at their 5% interest rate only to become a buyer at an 8% interest rate. So what that's done, everybody was like, oh, cool. Rates are going up. Prices are going down. Sweet. But that hasn't happened because in order for the prices to go down, we would need an oversupply. But because all those sellers don't want to give up their 5% loans for 8% loans, because really not as many people as you would expect have those 3%, those super low ones, something like 75% or 85%, sorry, of all 
active loans out there of all open loans are at six and lower. So that's still quite a bit of meat on the bone between three and six. So what's happened is there's no supply, which has kept the prices really high because there's like nothing on the market. We there's have nothing. Less, <laughs> yeah, we have like less supply than in something in the last 25 years. So because of that, prices have stayed high. And here's what I think is going to happen. And I'm by no means an economist, but what we've seen there's a lot of buyers waiting on the sidelines with a lot of money. So this isn't a situation. I think everybody's, oh, the prices are about to go down. Prices are about to go down. They're not, they're, there would have to be no money waiting on the sidelines for us to get an oversupply. And there's so many people waiting that are either waiting for one of two things, rates to go down or prices to go down. And it's not going to be prices because nobody is listing because they don't want to, again, become a 7 8% buyer. So what we've seen, like the Julie, actually, we did a little experiment on this. We had a seller recently who had a really nice modern property and he's, I really only need to get like 800 for it. And we're like, you can get 1.2. And he said, I just want it to sell fast. So just underpriced it a little bit. So we just underpriced it slightly at 1.1 and properties had been selling, taken three to six months to sell. This property had 15 offers on it the first day, four of which were cash at 1.1 million. So that's- Wait, Oh God, damn it. All right, I guess we'll mark it off our list then instead of a- uh, Yeah, so we just 15 had- offer, huh, 15, yeah, 15 offers. 15, one, so one. that kind of shows oh. you, that's a nice little like anecdote to oh. show you one small shift and everybody is back in. So yeah. what I foresee happening is at least for a while, as rates tick down, I think we're going to start to see more go back to more multiple offer situations, which will drive prices back up for how yeah. long. I don't know who knows, but I think when rates come down, if they come down, which I'm starting to be a little more optimistic about when they will and how far they're never going to go back to three again, probably, but five, six is, it really only has to get to five and a half. I think for everybody yeah. to jump back in and start buying and then prices are going to shoot up again, not as far as they did the past few years, but we're at least going to see that for a while because there's so many people waiting to buy who haven't been able to. Yeah. That's a really, thank you for sharing that. It's a really great example. If you have something that you think has that one, three list at one, one, what is it? Less than a 15% drop or a discount from kind of the market clearing price and then 15 offers for all cash bids. Has that closed? If, if that's closed, can you talk about like where, where it closed at? I think it went for exactly 1.2. We listed at 1.1. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's just talks about the state of the market, right? There's just, there's so many people waiting right now, like us included, right? We're just, we're waiting <laughs> to see if there's something out. Um, and I think that one other thing to, to know is if you're a good, there's not a lot of inventory because the revenue is really held up too. Now it's not as good as 2022. Three is actually like pretty decent too. So there's no real distress out there because people are, are making maybe not as much as 22, but they're still covering more than enough. If you're like a halfway decent operator, you're making more than enough to cover your PITI or your yeah. principal interest taxes insurance. So there's no real reason for you to sell unless you had some like life event that's like forcing you to sell like death, divorce, something like that, where you had to sell. There um, is one more little cross-section of, of sellers. So okay. you mentioned if you're a halfway decent manager. So there's a lot of people who bought in 2021, beginning of 2022, did not view this as any kind of a business. They just said, oh, the payment on a beach house is going to be what? Great. I'm going to buy one. We'll put it on Airbnb when we're not using it and we'll make some money. And those are the type, those buyers that, we're just like, oh yeah, I can afford a beach house. We'll, we'll Airbnb it. It'll be great. Yeah. Those buyers and then the buyers who bought, who I call it, there's no real nice way to say this. I call it 
uh, bargain bin shopping where they either buy something weird that's not really what people are expecting, like a brick ranch home in this means because it was cheaper, or they buy too far out. They buy in like an ancillary market, which I know a lot of influencers were recommending people do that the past few years. But then as things normalized, the weird stuff and the stuff that's too yeah. high attractions don't do as well. So those people who are like, oh crap, this is a business. I wasn't, I didn't sign up for this. Those people and the people who bought weird stuff are the ones that you see not necessarily distress selling, but like going ahead and scooting on out of here. No, I, that's a great point you brought up. And, and Liz and I had this conversation. I remember so many times we were smoking are so expensive. We we're looking at North Georgia. And I was just like, look, this is a, and I know there's stuff that works in North Georgia too, not to say it doesn't. As things normalize, it's those tertiary markets that benefit from when things are very bubbly. And then, but fundamentally, people want to go to the Tennessee Smokies, right? They want to go to Gatlinburg. They want to go to Cerville. They want to be like where the action is. And as things normalize, it all just compresses back to the core, at least in my opinion. And while certain things may have worked before, like it's just hard to put on like a 30-year mortgage on something that worked for six months. Like you really want to see a little bit of data unless you're like just really sure that thing works or you're okay with holding that for a long period of time because that mortgage sits there for 30 years. So you, this is a long-term investment. So again, for folks, like it's really important to have margin of safety, right? Do the homework, make sure you really understand what you're getting into. And I think this segues nicely into 2024. Like how, and I think you touched on it, but any other points you want to add on? I agree with you. I think rates, like the news just came out today with inflation starting to come down even more. Most likely at the end of the tightening cycle, and if we have a change in administration soon, then maybe rates get back down below where they are now, which will be another humongous rocket fuel to add a ton of fuel to almost to every asset class, really. Anything else that you want, anything you want to add about like 2024, maybe based on different markets that you're seeing, you guys have 20 different offices, a lot of agents, a lot of buyers, like anything, any other color you can add there for, for folks benefit? Yeah. Yeah. So let me start off by saying I despise when people say marry the house, date the rate. So that is not what I'm saying in terms of getting good deals. So the interest rate is going to go down at some point. Now, is that going to be a year from now or is it going to be 10 years from now? We don't know. If you can find a property that cash flows now, you're able to get, let me back up. The interest rate is going to change at some point. The price you get for, you buy a property for will never change. So now is the time to get good deals in terms of money off. And everybody says things like things are, the prices are going to go down. Prices are going to go down. They're not going to go down significantly enough to really matter. So if you look at the past 80 years, I saw a chart recently, I'll try to find it for your show notes, that there's only been six of the last 80 years where prices actually went down. And it was never more than a few percentage points with the exception of 2008. That's the only time that it's gone down significantly. So waiting for things to go down 20% is not necessarily realistic. So right now is a really good time to be a buyer because you don't have much competition. Now you have to deal with the not, there not being much inventory thing. But if you go make some low offers, you will eventually get a deal that you can hopefully, maybe next year, maybe 10 years from now, refinance to increase that cash flow. So if you can find a deal that makes sense now, that can potentially be a better deal later, I think that's a really good place to be. So again, I'm not saying buy, date the rate, marry the house or whatever, because I think that's stupid. And it's encouraging people to buy things that don't work and hope yeah. later. It's something that works now and increase it later. You're able to get better discounts now than I think you're gonna be able to get 
when the rates go back down. I agree. And I, I don't like, similarly, I don't like that term married, married of asset date, the rate, because for, for two reasons, one is if you want to play interest rates, there are way cleaner ways to play interest rates than buying real estate, right? You go and buy TLT, you go buy long, you go buy very long dated government bonds. Like that is a much, much easier way to play <laughs> when rates come down, you lever that up by two to one and you'll get the exact same results without any of the brain damage of buying real estate. And second is, I forget the exact term, but it's, but I think where to paraphrase it is like you marry the basis, right? Like the money, the, the price that you buy will never, ever change over the life cycle of your investment, right? The rates may change, the revenue might change, all that stuff. But where you buy in is the most important part. So if you can get below market price in any, irrespective of the financing structure, like that fundamentally is going to carry your investment, carry your investment through versus again, just trying to time the real estate cycle. It's really hard. It's, yeah. and I think just the fool's errand, just buy something that's nice that you can hold on to in a good market. And fundamentally you'll be, you'll be fine. Avery, what's the best way as we wrap up, what's the best way for actually, before I ask that last question, my typical last question is this real estate is a team sport. Building a business is a team sport. What is one of the kindest things that someone's done for you along your journey? that you remember and that's really helped you along in your journey? So back in the day when there were no courses and there were no anything, we found just by messaging other hosts on Verbo for our first property, we found a lady in Memphis named June who was self-managing her cabins from Memphis. And we annoyed her to death. I would have told us to get out of here like, after the second phone call, she sat on the phone with Luke and with me several times, like for an hour, probably two or three times. It's something that a total stranger does not have to do. And frankly, it's weird that she did, but it, because she, and she worked a full-time job. I think she was a physician's assistant or maybe a nurse practitioner, but she worked a full-time job, managed two cabins from Memphis, which is about eight hours from this. And so she really gave us not only the knowledge, but the example of, okay, she did it. We can do this. And June, if you're out there, we really appreciate you. Shout out to June. And let's all be more like June because I think it's really important to- There's too many people like June now charging for it. There are too many people like June, but, but <laughs> shout out people like June that help people when you don't need to. And you just never know, right? You help someone along the path. And, and there's some, I was reading this article today, like just being kind to people is just good for yourself. Shout out to June for making the world a better place. Hey, Avery, uh, what's the best way if people want to get in touch with you or short term shop? What's the best way to reach out? So you can find us on Instagram and YouTube and Facebook. It's all at the short term shop or slash the short term shop. You can join our Facebook group. It is the same title as my book behind me, short term rental, long term wealth. Also our website, theshorttermshop.com. If you join the Facebook group, I'm in the, I'm in the private, if you buy one through, through Avery's team, you'll join the private buyers group, which I'm in there. Folks give Avery and her team a chat if you're looking to buy and Avery, thanks again for appreciating. Thank you again for spending time with us today. I appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. Get some sleep.